Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What is up, everybody? This is a new edition of the 40 Club here on InsideCarolina.com. I'm Joey Powell. He's Tommy Ashley. We're brought to you by Johnny T-Shirt. Tommy, a new edition of the 40 Club, and we have got who I'd like to think is, amongst other things, not just having the best parking spot on campus in Chapel Hill, uh, but the first fan, a guy that has a really unique perspective. We're talking today with Chancellor Kevin Guskowitz. Tommy, are, are you prepared? Are you on your A-game? Did you, did you take a shower today? I did. I took one this morning. I don't usually get um, a little nervous doing these podcasts. been doing them for a long time, but we appreciate uh the, the big man on campus, the legitimate big man on campus for joining us. Thank you, yeah. Kevin G. Yeah, that's, that's uh, he was Chancellor was telling us just before we got started here that he gets called a, a number of things. And we were trying to figure out how to how to address him for this episode of of the 40 Club on Inside Carolina. And, and he said, Kevin G is pretty is pretty common around campus. I don't know that I'm young or hip enough to, to still, you know, to be cool to, to use that colloquialism with him. But we appreciate you making time, Kevin. It's um, it's the first time I think that we've had a sitting chancellor at least to my knowledge, since Tommy and I have been doing these. So appreciate you making time for us. Great. Thanks for having me, Joe, Joe and Tommy. Uh, it's an honor to, to be on the show on a Friday with a Carolina blue sky out there. Yeah, you've got a pretty strong window, uh, I'm sure, looking out over the, the beautiful quad there in, in, from South Building. Let's, let's start here. You know, we were talking before this. We've talked about the, the concept of this show has been uh, kind of a ripoff of, of Mac Brown's you know, 40-year decision. So we've called this kind of the 40 Club. While you didn't attend North Carolina, you've been here for 27 years, right? I would love to know from from your perspective, what brought you to UNC? You know, we almost didn't get here. We were, my wife and I were set to stay in Charlottesville, Virginia. I'd been offered a job there at uh, UVA right out of my uh, doctoral program, but I had one interview left, came down to Chapel Hill for an interview. Uh, Amy wasn't real excited that I was making that trip because she wanted to stay up there in Charlottesville. And, uh, but I fell in love with, with the campus uh, on a two-day interview, uh, drove back up to uh, Charlottesville, my way back up there. She called on, this is back in 1995, and she said, how did it go? I said, it went it went great. It just feels right. And uh, so phones went dead. It was like one of those Verizon commercials. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? <laughs> and uh, she said, no, I heard you. Uh, we'll talk about it when you get home. Uh, lo and behold, 27, laters, 27 years later, uh, here we are. And we both have fallen in love with Chapel Hill years ago and uh, raised our children here. And we have two Carolina graduates uh, of our own. But I've had an opportunity to view this 
magical place through the lens of, uh, of a parent, uh, of a dean, of a department chair, a young faculty member, center director, and uh, it's, it's in a magical place, and we're, we're just so happy to be here. So I got to be honest, you know, you're, you're, this is probably not breaking news to you, but you're the first uh, sports medicine researcher or, or neuroscientist that we've had here on the show. How, how did you get so drawn to, you know, uh, TBI, CTE, you know, all of the concussion type work that, that you made your career on? How did, how did you get into that? Where, where did that interest start? And, and how did you make that connection from, you know, being an undergrad and, and eventually getting into where this was, this was your life's blood? Yeah, well, I was working on my master's degree back in 90, uh, about 1989 to 1992 uh, at the University of Pittsburgh. And I was uh, at that time uh, a graduate assistant athletic trainer for the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, which is my, uh, has, you know, I'm a lifelong Steelers fan. I grew up in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Uh, yeah, Rolling Rock. Rolling Rock, uh, Arnold Palmer, and, and the one that most people don't know is Mr. Rogers, uh, all, all from Latrobe, <laughs> Pennsylvania. But uh, lifelong Steelers fan, I had a chance to work there uh, for two and a half, three years during Chuck Knoll's last uh, three seasons. And, uh, and I was curious. I, it, it, it seemed odd that we'd be sending players uh, back into the game back in those early, in the late 80s, early 90s with uh, some would argue a suspected concussion, maybe a concussion um, after they had cleared. And uh, but yet would hold somebody out with an ankle injury for 10 days. And, uh, and so I was curious. And so I had a chance uh, to, to leave the Steelers and go to the University of Virginia for my PhD and began working on this complex uh, injury. Some called it, many people at that time called it an invisible injury. And uh, I'm proud to say that, gosh, 30, you know, 33, 35 years later, because of a lot of the work we've been able to do here at Carolina, uh, it's no longer described as, as an invisible injury, uh, one that uh, we, we are, uh, we've got better tools in our toolbox to be able to evaluate because of the work we've done here in our research center. Chancellor, staying on this concussion deal, Carolina's been at the forefront of that a lot. Um, just sort of describe your role in making sure Carolina's leading the pack there, and then what you've seen as far as the advancements on campus, uh, the football program. I mean, soccer has a ton of concussion injuries and things. How, how has your role been in, in making sure uh, the student athletes at North Carolina are taken care of? Yeah, no, a great question. Uh, you know, I have to credit Mac Brown. Uh, in some ways with this. When I got here in 95, uh, I wanted to, uh, as I mentioned earlier, build some better tools to put in our toolbox to evaluate concussion. And Carolina was a place, uh, you know, Mac was a head coach at that time and uh, left a few years later to go to Texas. But uh, I had to get the buy-in from our sports medicine staff, our coaches here to allow our student athletes to participate in research studies uh, and uh, to be study subjects for, as we develop the con our own concussion protocol here, uh, we put in place uh, arguably probably the, the first and best uh, concussion baseline testing program in the country that then was adopted by uh, the NCAA, uh, later the N NFL. And we've been, you know, adjusting it, tweaking it along the way. But because we had willing coaches and athletic directors and, and, a, and a sports medicine team here at Carolina back in the mid to late 90s, where no other university in the country would, would touch this, uh, we were bold and we said, we're going to do this. And so I, I really credit uh, 
this community here have taken this seriously. And because of it, I think we've, we've led uh, the, the country in this space and others have, have adopted a lot of what we've done. And uh, we, you know, we were one of the only few places in the country that put accelerometers in the helmets of our football players. We're still doing that today as part of a, as part of a large scale study. And, um, and we're continuing to learn from that. It's the reason why the uh, NFL changed the kickoff rule back in 2011 uh, was because of our research here with accelerometers and helmets. Do you feel like, I mean, it seems like it's, it's certainly getting a lot of press. We saw Tua last week for the Miami Dolphins. We saw Naheem Hines last night um, for the, the state guy for the Colts. Do you feel like it's getting, that there are more concussions or we're just learning more about them and paying more attention? Because like you mentioned, back in the day, guys would knock themselves silly come off shake it off and go right back in nowadays um it's, it's more prominent in the press the issues that they're having uh do you feel like it's it's getting worse or it's just being uh, i guess acknowledged more these days yeah, i don't think there are and i've said this repeatedly and i think most of the uh, experts in this space would agree uh, there are no more concussions occurring today than there was a decade or two decades ago. We have just gotten a whole lot better at, uh, at picking them up, at, at diagnosing them. Some of that came just through the education about concussion and you know, educating athletes about the signs and symptoms and the importance of reporting uh, concussions. We've done this at just about every level with all the state concussion laws that have been put in place uh, over the past 12 years. Uh, and the you know, this has been elevated at every level, the NCAA, the NFL, NHL. And so um, we're just, we've removed some of the guesswork and we, we've basically, again, because of some of the tools that we've built to diagnose the, that acute concussion. So uh, there, we're just picking them up uh, and uh, people are sitting out uh, much longer uh, to, to recover, uh, which has reduced the number of repeat concussions that, that, that we've seen. Uh, and I believe the NFL reported just recently that it's the uh, last year uh, was the sort of the fewest number of concussions uh, in the past, I think, two decades in, in, in terms of the number of concussions that we've seen. So uh, we're, I think we're getting better at this. I want to ask a question that I think is it's a little philosophical. And I think you probably are one of the few people that has the unique perspective to be able to try to thread this needle. When you're watching sports, you know, there's a certain vibe or, or a spirit of the game, right? Then there's also this other perspective that these are real human beings playing in this game that could have long-term major impacts and debilitating consequences on their lives playing a game that gives the audience enjoyment. How do you kind of toe that line between keeping the sport the sport that it's intended to be, but also trying to make sure we're protecting the the players and the human beings that are are seeing their lives just cut dramatically short or the quality of their lives just eroded on the back end? How how do you fall or where do you fall there, and how do you approach that? Uh, I'm I'm conflicted often, uh, quite honestly, and. Uh, it's because I love sport. I think sport, you know, we're, we live in a sport crazed society. And I, and, and I say that in a positive way. I think there's so much that sport brings to society to, you know, I, all three of my sons uh, played Pop Warner football and one of them played right up through high school. And a lot of my friends at that time were like, are you crazy? Like, why would you let your kid play football? You're studying this. You see the potential dangers. And I said, because sport, if you, if, if you teach it right and you protect kids and, and uh, you know, not just with, you know, you got to have the best equipment, but you also have to be uh, 
teaching them how to protect themselves uh, and, and teaching them how to block and tackle. And this is just football. And I would say sport in general is, is it's important. It teaches leadership skills and, and uh, builds character and teaches teamwork and collaboration that is going to serve uh, these kids uh, throughout their lives. So I'm doing everything, and, and I, I know I speak for many around the country that do research in this area. This is about protecting the health and safety of, of, of athletes, young or old, uh, so that they can uh, have the benefits that sport brings out. And it provides, I mean, I, I love watching sports. I mean, I, I think, uh, like you, I, I think it's part of our uh, of our society, a part of our daily lives. And uh, um, so, again, uh, it, I am conflicted at times, but uh, I, I think that it's never been safer, quite honestly, uh, to play uh, high school and collegiate sport. And, and I think a lot of that's because we've allowed the science uh, to help inform uh, rules changes and policy changes. And so uh, I'm, I'm a big fan uh, of, of keeping the, the research and science uh, at the forefront of, of keeping our uh, athletes safe. I appreciate that answer. I wanna, wanna try to push that a little further but kind of go towards your role in leading the university. Um, there's always seemingly been a divide in, in the rhetoric between academia and athletics. And that's, that's always the thing. When I think about somebody sitting in a chancellor's seat, especially now, that's probably one of the hardest things uh, to do is kind of keep those two things working in a symbiotic relationship so that everybody wins. Uh, when you consider, you know, sports as kind of the front porch of the university sometimes, and it can be one of the biggest fundraisers, you know, in a billion dollar world uh, for, for research, for student scholarship, what have you, what's your perspective on that? How do you drive that? Because again, you're, you're in the, the top seat. How do you, how do you make those things coexist and keep people from seeing academics versus athletics and recognizing that, that everybody can win there? No, I, I couldn't agree more. We, I talk about excellence in the in the classroom, excellence on our playing fields, uh, and uh, and uh, we have. I talk all the time about our world class faculty. I mean, we are a, we've been a top five public research university uh, uh, for twenty seven consecutive years. U.S. News and World Report uh, has ranked us. Uh, we're ranked number one among all publics uh, in terms of best value, meaning we combines excellence and affordability. It's, it's something that we are really proud of here at Carolina. And I talk about, you know, what the world, those world-class faculty uh, do for our students as they graduate and go on to become the, uh, you know, the next generation of leaders, civic leaders. Well, I would say that our world-class coaches uh, do the same thing for our student athletes. We have 800 student athletes at Carolina, 28 teams. And uh, those coaches serve as lifelong mentors uh, for those uh, student athletes. And, um, and so it's part of our DNA at Carolina. And uh, I want to, I don't, I, I think that, um, yeah, you might say it's the front porch. Uh, I would argue and push back a little bit. It's, it's maybe what the average person might read because they turn to the sports page first, but uh, I'm, I'm trying to focus on, you know, we are a, a, a research and innovation powerhouse here. We bring in $1.2 billion a year in research. Some of that research is uh, what, what I described earlier. It's, uh, uh, you know, research grants that come from uh, the Department of Defense, the NIH, the NFL, the NCAA uh, to help protect uh, student athletes and our military uh, service members, because a lot of our concussion research, uh, we've you know, what we've learned in our student athletes is now benefiting uh, our uh, service members. So again, uh, it's part of our DNA. I'm, I'm repeating myself now. 
Let me ask you a question, and it's certainly relevant to our listeners and readers and YouTube watchers and all that, is, is how do you, when the NCAA was in town, you weren't the chancellor, but you were around, how, how was that from your perspective? Uh, I mean, both a personal, this is my university, this is troubling, versus a leader at the university, how was that balance when all that was going down back in 2010-ish? Uh, and you're talking of just more specific. You're talking about the uh, the NCAA, the allegations of, against the university. Yes, sir. When when the NCAA came calling, dealing with the the allegations, how 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 was that from your standpoint? It, at least observing it, dealing with it. Um, we know what the final result was, but during it, uh, um, how was that on campus for in a person from a person in your per, in your seat? So I was a department chair and a, and a faculty member. Uh, I mean, I've been a faculty member for 27 years. I was a department chair at that time uh, of exercise and sports science. And uh, it certainly caught the attention of all of us in terms of faculty. And I think there were, regardless of the outcome, I think it uh, there were uh, some additional measures put in place as a result of that that uh, uh, was really important. Some compliance uh, functions that we now are, are continuing, you know, 10 years later uh, to to be sure that we, uh, that, that questions such as that, that, that were raised never, uh, you know, come about again, that, that uh, our faculty understand the, the importance of this, that student athletes, our coaches, we came together as a community, uh, hired, made some really good hires as a result of that in terms of how we're uh, advising and managing student athletes. So regardless of the outcome, we learned uh, from it, we got better at uh, some of those compliance functions and that ensuring that uh, excellence in athletics was intersecting, as I said earlier, with excellence in, in, in our on our playing fields, basket, you know, in our courts, swimming you know, pools and uh, tracks and et cetera. So we're um, we're all in a better place. And I think it helped, you know, a lot of other universities uh, were paying attention and have employed some of the same measures we put in place as a result. Yeah, I appreciate your candidness with that answer. I mean, it was a difficult time. Um, for folks, and it was certainly an opportunity to get better. And you said the university did. Let, let me stay like in the NCAA realm, but in terms of expansion, what is your role with the university in expansion talks, whether it's Big Ten, SEC, whatever, the conference expansion? And, and do you see all this talk about expansion and super conferences or whatever? Do you see it having an effect at large on the university itself? outside of the uh, academic programs? So it's, you know, the landscape's changing. The uh, intercollegiate athletics landscape is changing. And so we have to be um, forward-looking. We have to be, uh, you know, positioning as a, as a chancellor of, of a, an outstanding uh, university that, again, um, prides itself in having strong strong athletics program that uh, many people count on us uh, to, to have, uh, we have to be forward-looking. And so we are, uh, you know, every uh, option's on the table as we, we look at this. Uh, a lot of it comes down to, uh, you know, trying to improve our media uh, deal. Um, uh, that's, uh, as you well know, uh, the media sort of is, is <laughs> has helped to change the landscape in terms of the, the payout per institution that uh, is, Built into these contracts uh, that each of the conferences has, so uh, we are uh, we are being responsible as we're looking at this. And uh, uh, 
I, I think I'm proud to be one of the, uh, you know, we're one of 15 schools, uh, 14 and a half, perhaps, if you count Notre Dame as <laughs> football. We're trying really hard to make, make it a solid 15. Uh, that would change a lot as well. Uh, but, um, you know, we're one of the original members of the ACC, and we're proud of that. Uh, and uh, I want to do everything to try to strengthen uh, the ACC, and that's where my focus is. I think one of the things that the average fan or, or subscriber assumes is that, you know, it's just easy to bounce around from conference to conference. Like you see the moves that are happening with UCLA and Southern Cal, you see Texas and Oklahoma, North Carolina is obviously a pretty desirable, uh, pretty desirable brand, but also a very desirable institution from an academic standpoint. That's the way it seems on the surface. In your seat, you see how really complicated this whole thing is. Can you, I guess, give me one of the misnomers or misunderstandings that that fans have or the average university supporter or the average faculty member might have? Like, how big of a deal is moving conferences? Like, how big of a deal is changing from, you know, being in the ACC or, or maybe the ACC expanding or, God forbid, UNC goes somewhere else? I, like, can you give kind of a, a scale as that what size we're talking when we talking about decisions that big, how, how much does it affect the university? So, I mean, this could be an hour and a half long conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. There's a lot of opinions on this. Believe me. Uh, I mean, since June 30th, when uh, I guess UCLA and USC announced that they were moving to the big 10, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about this. I've had a lot of phone calls, a lot of opinions uh, sort of uh, pushed in my direction. and, And I'm probably no different than, uh, you know, half a dozen other uh, ACC uh, uh, presidents or chancellors. And, uh, and it's not easy to make a move. And, and, and the first question is, we have to think about the student athlete. And I think that's what uh, has gotten lost in a lot of this. And, um, and that's something I care deeply about. Uh, yes, it's also about improving our media deal and ensuring that we uh, are competitive uh, in, in terms of you know, how we're able to put those, uh, those dollars back into the, uh, uh, to, to the, the university's infrastructure and, and the athletics department. And so uh, to support uh, the campus and, and our student athletes. And so uh, we have to, we're, we're really careful as we're looking at all of this and, and trying to work with the ACC uh, conference. I will tell you, Jim Phillips, uh, uh, our relatively new commissioner has been working tirelessly at this. I, I'm a believer in Jim. Uh, and uh, I know he's uh, committed to doing everything possible for to I- improve that media deal that uh, that we have, so that each of the member institutions can uh, can be can maintain its competitiveness. So, uh, but it's not easy. I mean, the grant of rights that that in itself is a whole long conversation. But we are bound to that uh, grant of rights up through uh, you know that current deal through 2036. I mean, if this was really easy uh, to do, don't you think that uh, Texas and Oklahoma would have jumped immediately to the SEC when they made that decision? But they're they're waiting two years until their uh, media deal and grant of rights is uh, expired so that they can move without paying exit fees and losing, um, you know, the media uh, rights that they that now I guess the uh, the Big 12 currently holds uh, the, the rights to for those two schools. And again, this isn't me trying to pin you down, but perfect world. Would you rather see North Carolina stay in the ACC and to see the ACC survive the seismic shifts? Uh, yes, I've said that repeatedly that we, you know, we were one of the original members of the ACC and we, I, my goal would be that we uh, have a, a stronger uh, ACC. And uh, uh, again, we've got uh, 15 uh, really strong 
schools that compete uh, at a high level. And uh, we want to make sure that we can continue to do that. So you mentioned earlier, you talked about how great some of the coaches that you've been able to work with are. Uh, I think North Carolina fans and our subscribers recognize, you know, how blessed they've been with, uh, you know, Roy Williams, Mac Brown, now Hubert Davis, but also you look at Karen Shelton, you look at uh, what's been done with Anson Dorrance and the women's soccer program. There's just so much good that comes out of UNC athletics. Um, what has your relationship been when you've had a chance to work with some of those folks, specifically whether it's in your research, whether it's been as, as chancellor, I, can you talk about some of those relationships and, and you know, maybe, not just bragging on those people, but how, how has your relationships with those made your job easier or made, you know, made for benefits for the university down the line? Yeah. Well, what I uh, failed to mention earlier in the conversation, when I came to Carolina, I still wanted to be clinically active. And so uh, I was brought into an academic faculty position, but uh, wanted to still work in the sports medicine space. So I uh, got here in 95 at the same time, Jenny, Leave Levy at that time, Jenny Slingloff was her name. Jenny Levy, <laughs> uh, uh, our three time uh, uh, national champion women's lacrosse coach. Uh, Jenny had just been hired at the same time. We both started on July 1st, 1995, and she was charged to take a club lacrosse team and turn it into a varsity uh, team. And so they said, Why don't you work with Jenny? And so I became Jenny's uh, athletic trainer. <laughs> That's awesome did that for the first four years I was here at Carolina. Jenny took that, uh, that what was a club team to the final four, um, two of the first three years. It, it was incredible. And uh, here we are. I mean, she's now, you know, after 20, what, about 26, 27 years, uh, three national championships. Uh, I, I don't even know how many ACC championships <laughs> coach of the year. And I have had a great relationship with her and with Anson and with Karen Shelton and, uh, I mean, our tennis coaches. I mean, we, you know, just last year, two national titles, uh, obviously the one in women's lacrosse uh, and in women's tennis, uh, the ITA indoor, um, you know, obviously uh, what Hubert was able to do last year in his first year, I've developed a great relationship with, uh, with coach Davis. And, uh, and I still call on coach Williams. I, I just uh, had a conversation with coach, uh, um, Williams the other day, uh, you know, getting some advice from him on, a, on an issue, he, uh, you know, he has stayed connected. And so, again, these are world-class coaches that love this place. And, uh, and that's just why anytime you start talking about, uh, you know, potential changes to the conference, you really have to think about the, the entire program, all 28 sports and, uh, and what that means for those student athletes. I know that at the end of the day, everybody says it comes down to the, the, the revenue that football generates and, and, and men's basketball. Uh, but uh, we have incredible coaches. Courtney Bankhart with our women's basketball mm -hmm. team. She's taken that program to new heights. And I think you're going to see them. Uh, that, that's going to be fun to watch over the next few years. Chancellor, when, when you talk about uh, all those coaches, they seem to all get along too. That's not, that's not the case at every other university. How does that, as being the head guy there, how, how does that make you personally feel to see that these folks get along whether it's Anson Dorrance, who's clearly the best to ever do it on the, in that realm, um, on down to Levy and Banghart. And Banghart's new, relatively still new, but they all seem to mesh so well. Um, how pleasing is that to the eye of the chancellor? It, I, I love it. And, uh, you know, and, and that speaks to the uh, job that Bubba Cunningham does. I think we have the best, best athletics uh, director in the country. Uh, he is, uh, you know, one of the things that, that Bubba did was, you know, he came in, it's probably, I'm, I'm guessing here, we're probably talking about maybe 11, 12 years ago. And, um, 
you know, he's coming in from the outside. You know, Dick Bedore is a great friend of mine, and Dickie did a great job running the program, you know, for for many years. And Dickie ran it as sort of a family. It was a family-run business. Uh, uh, Bubba kept the family while still creating a little bit more of a business approach to to running the department. The department because we had facilities that needed to be upgraded, and you know, he's done a great job of of doing that and finding a way to uh, to create the revenue to do that. A lot of philanthropy around it. I mean, we have an amazing. Uh, uh, donor base that believes in Carolina, the Rams Club, and John Montgomery and the work that he does and others. But uh, but Bubba Cunningham does a great job. Uh, and, and I'll tell you, Anson Dorrance, you, know, you mentioned Anson. I mean, he's been around uh, a long time. Uh, uh, three years ago, I asked Anson to be our uh, keynote speaker for our uh, new student convocation. This is we gather everybody in Carmichael Arena and, uh, and we have one person, you know, I get up there and do a little Tar Heel rah-rah, welcome to Carolina, but then I, I need a keynote speaker. I'm thinking, who better than Anson Dorns to give a pregame pep talk <laughs> to uh, 4,500 new students? And he was incredible. So it is a family atmosphere. They all get along and um, they got to share some facilities. And, you know, that that's not always easy to do, but they, they find a way to do it. So I'm proud of them. Yeah, I was there from 89 to 93, and uh, Anson Dorrance never lost a game, and they won four <laughs> national titles. So I, I, I put those four years at, at Carolina up against anybody's. Uh, my son's currently there, and he doesn't understand. He doesn't understand how big a deal <laughs> you that tell was. Him you're going to get him several national championships. Uh, what, what year is your son in? He is a sophomore at Carolina uh, now. Great. Well, we're so, going to make sure uh, he gets some- we're gonna make sure he get, get gets uh gets several national championships. Yeah, Hubert almost came through last year, and uh, he was ready on Franklin Street. But it, it, he's had a blast there. But and he's certainly he's in sports administration now. He certainly understands the role of sport. That's a great program. Uh, and just so you know, the convocation this year uh, in front of those almost five thousand uh, first year students, and we moved it over to the Smith Center for convocation. I promised them there as we we wrapped up the evening that they would. Uh, that they would, uh, the coach Davis had promised me they'd get to rush Franklin Street uh, two or three times this year. Uh, you said, thanks a lot. No pressure now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, what's crazy about that, and this is just me going long-winded, is he stayed home. We all went to the Final Four as a family and to cover it or whatever. He stayed home just so he could rush Franklin Street, and they got <laughs> to do that on uh, on that Saturday night. Let, let me switch gears and, and talk more specifically about the players themselves um, what's your take on NIL? I, I think them getting paid was a long time coming, probably should have happened a long time ago. But you, in your position, name, in, image, and likeness, uh, what's your overall take on it, and how do you see it going? I, I feel like it needs to be tweaked a little, little bit. It's a little different, and it's a little sort of Wild West now. But what's your take in your position? Yeah, so if you look back, I mean, for the majority of, of – the NCAA's history, uh, the governing body enforced rules prohibiting college athletes mm-hmm. from uh, from being paid uh, for endorsements, for signing autographs, et cetera. And, uh, but, uh, wow, I mean, hasn't that changed? I mean, we um, I remember my first meeting uh, of the ACC presidents uh, back in March of 2019. Uh, we sat around a table talking about how we, you know, you know how are we going to protect amateurism and intercollegiate athletics? And uh, that was just three and a half years ago. And boy, you know, that ship has sailed, uh, you know, new state laws and, and movements across the country led to, uh, you know, the really the enactment of name, image and likeness uh, that all changed in July of 2021. 
uh, when uh, student athletes officially began signing uh, NIL deals. And so uh, it has changed. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm conflicted on it, quite honestly. And uh, I think what I have to do is, is, as I said, that ship has sailed. So we, we've got to now best position ourselves and, and uh, make sure our student athletes um, can be focused on both the, you know, the academics and, and uh, uh, you know, excelling in the, in their sport. But uh, I'm proud of the fact that we were the first school in the nation to sign a, a group licensing agreement with uh, student athletes in partnership with the uh, uh, Branner group. And uh, I think our focus continues to be on education and opportunities around this emerging world of college athletics. I think one of the things that North Carolina has long been known for, and you mentioned, you know, being out front and signing with Brander. Uh, if you think about, you know, how coach Smith and Charles Scott helped to, integrate ACC athletics. If you think about the work that you've done specifically with, uh, you know, brain injury and, and CTE and, and how that's being impacted by sport, North Carolina as a university, sometimes with the athletic department, but more importantly, as a university entity has always been a leader. And I think the, the university has always prided itself on that. I would ask you, what do you see right now as, as we sit here in 2022, what's the biggest threat to North Carolina continuing to be a leader? I, I do think that, um, you know, we need to be sure that um, I think it's around name, image, and likeness. I mean, I really think we are going to have to be sure because it's here and it's here to stay. And uh, uh, I, I want to you mentioned earlier about we're in the ACC. The ACC is regarded as, as uh, you know, excellence in, in athletics and academics. And, and we're proud of that. And that's why I believe strongly that uh, this is the right place for us. It's, it's one of several reasons. But I think that is threatened with the way that students are um, student athletes are in the transfer portal. I, I worry about that. And, you know, graduation rates of student athletes, because we're graded on that and that's really important. And so when athletes are coming and going and uh, you got name, image and likeness and they're looking for better deals. I mean, I, I worry that it's becoming a free agency type model. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about it. And, uh, and some might say, well, that's only in two or three sports, but no, I think you're going to see a proliferation of this out across uh, many sports. I'm, you know, we have 28 uh, sports here and I, I want to support all those student athletes. And, uh, and, and I think the way in which uh, NIL is potentially going to um, create further challenges for us with title nine, because uh, we have to keep our eye on that. Bubba Cunningham and I are, are you know, in tune on that. And we, we talk regularly about it. So uh, I've given you a whole lot there in answering your question, but um, you know, we, we, we have to, continue to lead. And, and I want to be sure that we are uh, the intersection of, of excellence in the classroom and excellence on the playing field. Uh, uh, it remains a top priority for us. Let me jump in here. You speaking about leadership and all that. I want to ask you personally, you came in, uh, I think took over December 19 and then COVID hits. <laughs> welcome what welcome is, to the chair, Chancellor. <laughs> yeah. What is a chancellor of, of, um, a state university, one of the best thinking when all that starts going down in March of 2020. Yeah, it was tough. I mean, I, uh, you know, my motto in life has been, uh, you know, easy is boring. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I had no idea what I was saying or talking about because this, this created a whole new uh, uh, environment for our campus. Uh, I've used the sport analogy often as I do. Uh, and I said, we were really playing with an, un an untested playbook, uh, sort of like, uh, you know, a 
an athletics team, you know, preparing a whole week in a football team and preparing all week to, uh, you know, to play uh, Syracuse. And we find out that uh, the team that shows up on Saturday is, you know, Florida State, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and, and that's what uh, that, that's what we felt like. I think we nobody knew how to, you know, what to do with this situation. We we had never. Um, thought about going entirely remote, uh, but on March 11th of 2020, I pulled our leadership team together, chair of the faculty, secretary of the faculty, and here in the South Building, and I said, uh, we're going to need to go entirely remote uh, for some period of time, and uh, the, the irony was, we, you know, we were all thinking, okay, this might be three or four weeks. I mean, who, who would have ever imagined? <laughs> chair of the faculty looked at me like I had six eyes, and, you know, they're like, he's like, entirely Remoting is most of our faculty have never taught an online class, but I was really proud of the way that we uh, built out a roadmap, uh, a plan uh, that we had to tweak along the way. But uh, uh, at that time, only about 15% of our faculty had ever taught an online class. Wow. And we gave them about eight days to pivot uh, to, to teach entirely sure. online. Uh, but they res responded. And I said, that's what great global public yeah. research universities do. We teach society how to adapt. And we had to adapt ourselves, and um, and here we are, you know, two and a half years later, uh, in a, you know, two years later, in a much better place than where we were then. Still doing zooms, which is the irony of it all, is that this is the easy way to do these type of interviews. Let me ask you one more question in in that regard. Walking around campus, you know, March that summer of twenty twenty, um, it kind of brought everything into perspective, right? The fleeting nature of what we all do. Um, what was that like having Chapel Hill virtually empty when it's usually so vibrant and, and so um, such the place to be as UNC, as Woody Durham used to say? Yeah, it, it was tough. Uh, and, um, you know, I love every day I look out this window at the, at the old well and uh, there's always people out there snapping photographs and, uh, you know, people were happy, you know, <laughs> and that's the way it is today. As I said, Carolina Blue Sky out there, too. Uh, but uh, uh, that changed. Uh, rapidly and and while a lot of students still uh while we had to uh, we, we did still have about uh maybe 3500 uh, 3500 students still living in our residence halls uh, i mean that was down from we typically are in the you know closer to 10,000 living in those residence halls uh we still had a lot of students uptown it just was not the same our classrooms were were empty uh we still kept our research going though which again something i'm proud of we we never shut the university down and we kept we, we plowed through it uh, but we're in a much better place today. And, uh, you know, I, I think back to that game. I'm, I remember standing there at a game. It was against Syracuse, a uh, football game uh, with about, uh, you know, a thousand people in the stadium, uh, you know, a 60,000 seat stadium. Uh, it just was really odd. But, uh, but again, we're in a much, much better place today. Well, Chancellor, last one for you. And hopefully this will be, uh, hopefully this will, this will be uh, at least last one for me. This will be a little bit of fun for you. You, you mentioned when we started, you know, that you are a sports fan, you know, longtime uh, Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Uh, but I, I want to ask you, what's it like being the first fan at the University of North Carolina? So many sports, um, you know, so many successful programs. Do you ever get a chance to just kind of be a fan? I think about the, the NCAA tournament run. Did you get a chance to enjoy that as a fan or is it is it just too immersed in you as chancellor to to be able to to kind of rip that, uh, I guess, rip that, that hat off. Yeah. Joe, you know, I, I am, I'm a huge sports fan and, and, uh, you know, I've raised my children to be big fans and, 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 uh, 
they uh, so I do enjoy it. I usually at a game uh, this past week against Virginia Tech was a lot of fun. I, I I tend I make sure that I can watch the fourth quarter. I'm usually up there in the chancellor's box or over right. the zone or down on the field for a while, and I'm just I'm, I'm you know I love seeing the energy inside of a stadium, and so I, I love being around people that are enjoying that game day experience. And uh, but my goal is that I can always be in my seat uh, with my you know next to Amy or the the boys or my daughter Tessa, and you know to to enjoy watching some of it be a fan for part of it but i uh, i'm often working and, and when and i say working it's in a it's a fun kind of work uh same thing at basketball i mean that uh, the run down in new orleans with the final four was was incredible something i'll never forget just being with the students i spent a ton of time with the students down there uh in, in new orleans and um you know we came up just a little bit short but we're gonna go get it this year last question for me uh one bit of advice you'd give to either incoming students at carolina students at Carolina or anybody or around UNC, what would that be? Uh, I, you know, I just sat in my office here with a, a prospective uh, student and their family yesterday. And I, I talk often about this is a magical place with so many opportunities and you can make it feel as small as you want it to feel. Uh, your son maybe experienced this uh, or as, as large as you want it to feel. I mean, it can have the feel of a small liberal arts college where it can feel like a large, you know, uh, one of those big 10 schools uh, that um, if that's what you need. And sometimes students, uh, they'll shift the, what they feel they need at some point their sophomore, junior year and start taking classes in some of our professional schools. But uh, I, I think um, you have to explore uh, options. I love the student that comes in and says, I have no idea what I want to study, but I'm going to figure that out. And then they take two or three semesters and they explore a couple of different classes and some different majors. We have a brand new general education curriculum uh, that we just launched in th this year uh, that uh, exposes students to different majors, uh, teaching students how that we solve big problems. Uh, it's called a ideas information and inquiry course. And I think it's going to be a game changer for us. It's one more example of how Carolina leads. We're bold, uh, both, um, through our athletics endeavors, uh, but also through our curriculum. And, uh, and we're proud of that. Chancellor Kevin Guskowitz, we appreciate you taking time for us today on the 40 club here on InsideCarolina.com. Appreciate your candor. We think, uh, I think you, you know, you, you could have dodged a couple of these questions and I think you, you landed the plane really well and appreciate your, your honesty with us and, Hopefully uh, things keep going well. Hopefully you've, you've gotten through leading the university through a, an unprecedented pandemic. Hopefully the next couple of years will be, uh, will be easy for you. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, guys, for having me. It's been a lot of fun and uh, happy to jump on with you anytime. All Go right. Heel. Yes, sir. We'll talk to you soon. Appreciate That's it. Chancellor Kevin yeah. Guskowitz. Thanks, Chancellor. Take care. All right. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Let's do a Johnny T read. What do you think? 
That's all. That's your wheelhouse, brother. You, th- you think you think Chancellor Guskowitz is has ever been a Johnny T-shirt? I bet you he has. He could stand He's out everywhere. in front of his office. He could stand out in front of his office and probably throw a lacrosse ball and hit the back of the Johnny T-shirt store. <laughs> Johnny T-shirt, big supporters of Inside Carolina, big supporters of the UNC community. As we just talked to the head of the UNC community, uh, Johnny T-shirt supports that. Alumni owned, locally owned and operated. We're thankful for them. Premium subscribers who are probably listening to this podcast know that you get an extra ten percent off the top of their already amazing prices. Um, you know, Chancellor talked about it multiple times. UNC's athletic department sports twenty-eight different programs. Well, Johnny T-shirt's probably got a shirt or some gear for all twenty-eight of those. Hit them up, JohnnyT-shirt.com, or right there on East Franklin Street. We appreciate you being a part of this episode of the Forty Club. Appreciate Chancellor Kevin Guskowitz. Stopping in, talking about a lot of stuff, man. We covered a lot of topics. I hope it was informative and and enlightening. I love hearing somebody that that sits at the you know big chair of anything, but but hearing his perspective and his expertise in a lot of these things was was really informative, but but quite fascinating in some places. How about you? Yeah, same. And it was interesting his his discussions there with the NCA matters and the expansion and all that. I mean. NCA comes to town what do you do you do better you get better in certain forms and uh, then talking about expansion um I'll be honest he's similar to a lot of us older and I, I've called myself old before on these shows and got fussed <laughs> at by some of the real old guys uh we'll say the wise guys but you know the ACC is is it was was a big deal and being a founding yeah. member he hit on that so um do i personally believe that it can withstand all the changes i not really i don't know um but he's a belief that a, a strong acc is where carolina needs to be and i don't necessarily disagree i just don't know if we can get to the strong acc part uh, but certainly a fascinating interview and his willingness to come on and, and never once said you can't ask me about this or you yep. can't ask me about that and you know, folks talk about the tough questions or whatever, but he answers everything, and he, and he's so into UNC. It's fascinating. Yeah, I think it's one of the reasons we wanted to have him here on the Forty Club. Is you know, he's he's not a Tar Heel born, but he's absolutely a Tar Heel bred. And I mean, you know, if you hear the answers and the passion, you can't sit in the seat that he has and not have passion for the university and every single crevice of the university. You've got yeah. to understand it, and I, I can't imagine. You know, the burden that sits on shoulders like that and what he has to deal with on a regular basis. But uh, like you said, Tommy, he didn't he didn't give us any parameters. Uh, he he told us ahead of time, you know, hey, yeah, I'll come on and do it. Knew we were going to ask him some stuff that may not have been comfortable, but I think he I think he addressed him pretty well. And and hopefully folks that listen to this show or watch this show today have have come to appreciate kind of just what comes with sitting at, at, at the big chair uh, for a university and a brand as big as North Carolina's is. I couldn't do it wouldn't want to do it, but definitely, uh, definitely have an appreciation for, for what he does and and certainly appreciate, uh, Chancellor Kevin Guskowitz joining us today. What else yeah, you got, man, before we get out of here? Not much. This will, uh, we recorded this in, in full transparency. We recorded this on October the 7th. You're probably listening to it during Carolina's bye week. Um, still, uh, I'm still sure his view out of that window today is as good as it was on October 7th. Uh, but yeah, he has, uh, if Carolina fans or sports followers ever doubted whether or not their chancellor was on their side. Um, and there was a lot of that doubt. There's yeah, the there's NCAA been some in the past that, that, that weren't. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, uh, you know, it appears that Carolina is in good hands and his discussion of all the other co- 28 teams. Think about that, man. We cover football, 
basketball and baseball to an extent. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then the message boards have threads um, for the other Olympic sports and the women's basketball team. But 28, I challenge anybody watching this to write down the 28 teams that Carolina has. Right Without now. cheating. Without, Without cheating. cheating. And Kevin G, is a, he said I could call him that. So he did I, say I that. You're it. right. <laughs> and uh, probably shouldn't have, but it is what it is. But I, I, he has to manage all of them. You know, football is the bellwether. Basketball, of course, is what it is. But he's got to manage all of them, and he seems to do it with a, with a, with a hint of sports guy. And, and that's it's, not always been the case. And it's Bubba Cunningham's purview, but it's obvious that Chancellor Guskowitz knows what's going on, right? Yeah. And I think that's that's all you could ask for with a guy at the the tippy top of, of the of the food chain. Um, and I do I do appreciate him talking about you know getting to be a fan because that's. That's where we all have a commonality, right? We all want to see Carolina do well. Um, you know, inside Carolina does better when North Carolina's athletic teams are doing well. Fans like it better when North Carolina's teams are doing well. And, you know, and he, he gave a little bit of that too as to, as to how that fits within a multi-billion dollar research and academic setting, um, which again, just bigger picture stuff than my small brain will, will usually allow me to consider. But appreciate Chancellor Guskowitz joining us. Tommy. Thanks for making time, man. Um, always love doing these. Hopefully we'll have, uh, have some more coming up relatively soon, but we appreciate it. Appreciate Johnny T-shirt sponsoring. Appreciate John Siegley for his production expertise in making this happen. But for Tommy Ashley, for Chancellor Kevin Guskwitz, I'm just Joey Powell. We'll catch you next time here on the 40 Club on InsideCarolina.com. Take it easy. <laughs>